0: Find out what the whole world is thinking in The Agenda.
1: Hello and welcome to The Agenda. I'm Stephen Cole. As the pandemic's impact, as well as a global skills shortage continues to cause double disruption, governments and employers need problem solvers more than ever. So this week we're putting on our critical thinking caps and finding out just what is being done to equip the thinkers of the future. The term critical thinking is used to describe an educational goal and it goes back more than a century when it was called reflective thinking. It was defined then as persistent and careful consideration of any belief or form of knowledge. In detail, critical thinking is the intellectually disciplined process of actively and skillfully conceptualizing, applying, analyzing, synthesizing and or evaluating information gathered from or generated by observation, experience, reflection, reasoning or communication as a guide to belief and then action. According to the World Economic Forum, critical thinking is an essential condition for rapid and deep learning and thinking. Salah Khalil has founded the Makat International Company which measures critical thinking and is distilling the core components into an innovative learning framework into the six fundamental skills needed for effective critical thinking. And they are problem solving, analysis, creative thinking, interpretation, evaluation, and reasoning. And the truth is, if you're waiting for a crisis but not ready for it, then it may well be too late to solve it. Critical thinking is connected to rational thinking and its leading exponent, Professor Steven Pinker, has created a critical thinking toolkit, which he hopes will help us all make better decisions. It's time, he says, to start thinking about thinking. He believes that while we live in an era of breathtaking scientific discovery, we also live in an era of fake news, quack cures, conspiracy theories, and post-truth rhetoric. And that's why the need for critical and rational thinking has grown significantly. The latest research by the World Economic Forum estimates that by 2030, at least 85 million people will need to be upskilled or reskilled if the global economy is to avoid losing $8.5 trillion in GDP as a result of artificial intelligence, automation, changing demographics, and globalization. These estimates are quite conservative when considering that the International Labour Organization and the World Bank project a third of the current global workforce of 3.7 billion people will need critical thinking to help them deal with more complex work environments. Critical thinking and its benefits can be traced back thousands of years. The methodology named after Greek philosopher Socrates, the Socratic method, is one of the earliest critical thinking instruction tools known to man. Centuries later, Roman Emperor Marcus, the philosopher Aurelius, would warn in his meditations that everything we hear is an opinion, not a fact. Everything we see is a perspective not the truth. Fast forward past Galileo, Albert Einstein, Martin Luther King and countless others, we're still curious about understanding the ways in which critical thinking can truly benefit us all. Someone who can help us learn more is Salah Khalil. He is the founder and chief executive officer of Makat International, a company that develops academic content in the social sciences and humanities. Sala, welcome to the agenda tell us more
2: about what critical thinking is well critical thinking in short is uh, thinking about thinking so it is the careful uh, thinking directed by a goal so essentially what you have is a process to help one uh, make up our mind about what we believe and what we do it is self-guided, self-disciplined, self-monitored, and self-corrected as well. The largest body of literature on critical thinking can be found in three major disciplines, including philosophy, psychology, and education. Each of these disciplines have a different conception or definition of critical thinking for example, philosophy uh, defines critical thinking as perfections of thought or the perfect critical thinker or the best critical thinking. Psychology is more interested in the actions and behaviors critical thinkers do. And education is more interested in information processing where the it's kind of like a pyramid where at the bottom of the pyramid you have regurgitating or just repeating what one's learned. Uh, one one learns without understanding it. Although these three disciplines disagree in definition, they all agree that critical thinking is a set of skills and behaviors, and that how it becomes relevant to the everyday user. It's something that we need to make wise choices, to make better decisions, to actually uh, 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 analyze things and, and identify opinions, identify misinformation, you know, really help us develop, not just in our professional life, but our educational life and our uh, uh, personal life as well.
1: Now, I'm looking at the latest research by PwC, Corn Ferry, the World Economic Forum, and they are estimating that in about eight years, 85 million people will need to be upskilled or re-skilled if the global economy is not going to lose trillions of dollars uh, in GDP as a result of artificial intelligence, automation, changing demographics and globalization. So how can critical thinking come in here to help with that upskilling and prepare people for the huge changes that are going to happen?
2: Many of the skills that we're using in the current economy, machines will probably do them better in the future. And if that's the case, these skills will decay with time. So it would not be sensible to invest in skills and invest heavily in those skills that will decay with time. You should be focused and you and focus your investment on skills that will not decay with time. And critical thinking is one of those skills Not just because I'm saying it, this is because the World Economic Forum says that the top 10 skills in 2025, 2030, 50%, at least 50% of those skills are critical thinking skills. Um, And You've also
1: connected uh, critical thinking with pulling people out of poverty, haven't you?
2: Absolutely. Uh, If you look at China, for example, and what they have done uh, in terms of pulling almost 900 million people out of poverty that's that's almost a billion people that's a very very large number so the way they did this was very interesting and it's definitely uh, you know a, a real example of how uh, politicians work together to maximize social benefit so in certain villages where there is it was not possible, to uh, connect the village to electricity or power generation or roads they actually move the whole village to a new village where it's easier to connect and therefore creates an opportunity for opportunities for employment opportunities opportunities to move up the the social scale and and develop as human beings and remove themselves out of poverty so how, do they, how did they do this? Well, why did they choose this idea? I can assure you that there were a lot of problem-solving experts, a lot of analysis experts, a lot of creative thinking experts, a lot of interpretation experts, a lot of evaluation experts, and a whole load of reasoning and justification behind this strategy. All those skills make up critical thinking. And those are. this is a true and real example of how China does not only impact its, uh, whatever happens within its borders, but actually can have a global impact on this uh, crisis if it puts its mind to it. I'm wondering if people had applied
1: critical thinking more to the treatment of the pandemic, we might have perhaps ended this pandemic a little earlier. It, it was, there, was this a perfect place for an example of critical thinking?
2: This is a, a really, really good question because it's the same as the crisis that everyone is projecting to happen uh, in 2030, which is the skills gap. Imagine if we, 10 years ago, we had known about COVID happening and what kind of preparations we would have done the vaccines would have been ready lockdowns would, would have had enough research to understand when to lockdown when to open how to do it how long is it for and and really not let people go through the suffering they went through by losing uh, uh, you know close family members and not having the ability to say goodbye to them properly so we we could have avoided so many things but that aside if we didn't even if we didn't have the luxury of 10 years before the pandemic happens and knowing about it and planning for it even when the pandemic happened there were a lot of decisions that were made that actually were the opposite of critical thinking and uh, people were going by trial and error rather than reasoned and well-structured approaches towards thinking, consideration. And, you know, one big aspect of critical thinking is moral thinking. And that's really, really important in today's world. We need more moral thinking because good thinking will result, you know, will help you become a better moral thinker because you don't need to lie. You don't need to hide things if you think through things properly.
1: Salah Khalil, many thanks to you for joining
2: us here on The Agenda. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you.
1: Still to come here on The Agenda, with misinformation now rampant, I find out how universities are helping students question the superficial facts of the future. Twenty-five hundred years ago, an old man rode on his buffalo and headed west of China. Before he vanished into the wild, he left behind a book of 5,000 words, which for the next two and a half millennia would have shaped the Chinese way of thinking. Subscribe to the sayings of Laozi and find out why generals with wisdom yield after winning the ultimate battle, and how staying behind just might help you get ahead of others. The Sayings of Lao Tzu is available on all major podcast platforms. When it comes to training the next generation of successful leaders, it is being widely argued that schools should switch to teaching what is called the four Cs. They are critical thinking, communication, collaboration, and creativity but are they enough to equip them with those tools that they might need in life? I'm joined by Lord Knight, former UK Education Minister. Uh, Lord Knight, the four C's, is that
0: enough? Would that work? I think it's a really important start. If you talk to employers, particularly those employers uh, with higher wages that they're paying, uh, that are in sectors like the digital economy, where we know that there's gonna be a big future growth in in work, uh, what they want more than anything uh, are humans that they can employ who can compete effectively with machines. And that competitive advantage that humans have is on the basis broadly of those four Cs of collaboration, communication, uh, critical thinking and, and creativity. So can I pin you down a bit here, Jim, because we we, we have been talking about
1: the inexorable march of technology and the new challenges. How do you prepare young people for those new technologies without losing the foundations of education, reading, writing, etc?
0: In my mind, we have become over preoccupied by academic knowledge and we've not thought enough about how we apply that knowledge and some of the other rounder skills that need to go with that.
1: Is this what you right. mean by
0: unlearning? Yes, to an extent, that's right. You know, I, I think you know, the young people that I talk to, they are becoming pretty good at, sit, you know, the majority pretty good at sitting tests in large sports halls on tiny little desks with paper and pen. That's a that's a pretty specific skill that they're never going to use again in their working lives and recalling knowledge that in the end machines are going to be better at, at recalling. And they've got to kind of unlearn that that's what education is. We've all got to unlearn that and go, yes, in being able to read and write confidently, being numerate and, 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 and confident with science. knowledge, Those are all really important things to equip us for our future. So relearning
1: digital um, progress, new technologies, robots. Where does that leave the arts and playtime for young people?
0: They're really essential. You know, it, it, I'm afraid, you know, I'm of the view that the metaverse is the potential to, to kill off humanity. You know, if we're all trapped on screens all day and we're not connecting with each other and we're not connecting with nature, then... I think we get into a really bad place. The arts are the best way that we've so far found to connect with each other, to connect with our emotions. Sport is a really important way of learning how to work together towards a common goal and to take some physical risk. Um, Those are essential for a broad and balanced curriculum that should be at the heart of every school. And that's
1: true, especially in Scandinavian countries, isn't it? The importance of play, uh, of time away from the classroom, for the child's development. Uh, And you acknowledge that sort of importance. And I wonder whether curriculums in the UK and Europe are taking note of that.
0: Well, certainly I think in my country here in England, we are behind the curve on that. Uh, Play-based learning is something that's pretty embedded everywhere you go in the early years of education. And then, as you know, and the great Sir Ken Robinson, who sadly died last year, uh, you know, he talked about how as you get older and go through school, gradually we just start to educate from the neck upwards. We forget about educating for dance, for sport, for creativity, because we're just focused on on that academic, and um, that sort of cognitive development, and and we're missing out a lot. What play offers is the opportunity to learn through failure, through trying again and again and, and collaborating with, with each other. The, there's huge, huge opportunity attached to play-based learning. And in the, I think in, uh, the reality is often in the world of work, we do a lot of that. You know, uh, it's possible to misinterpret that in terms of people playing when they should be working, but there is playful working, uh, which is highly productive.
1: Finally, uh, can critical thinking be contagious. If you're leading a team, if you're leading a school, uh, and you're thinking along these lines,
0: will people follow you? Do you think will people listen? Will people copy you? I I believe so. I, I think if 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 we're talking and uh, you, an idea is sparked of something that you've not really thought of before, because someone's thought about the problem differently, they thought they they've been creative in the way that they've thought about things, they've interpreted things differently. Um, then that sparks something in you and you go, oh, okay, that's interesting. That's a bit like that other thing that I was thinking about the other day. And then you start to join up the dots of different bits of knowledge that we all hold in isolation and create something um, really exciting. You, You know, I could... It's a bit like the imaginal cells in the final metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly. They sit separately, they're, they're separate DNA from the rest of the caterpillar, but then they start to hum on the same frequency as, as each other. And out of that, the beautiful winged butterfly emerges. And that's, that's a metaphor, if you like, for where we can get to if we embed this thinking properly. A beautiful
1: metaphor. Lord Jim Knight, many thanks for joining us on the agenda. Thank you. It's never been more important for students at universities to learn about critical thinking. Anthony McLaren is the Vice-Chancellor of St Mary's University in London, and he has huge experience in education and also of running the Australian education system. And he joins me now. Um, Anthony, are universities aware enough of the importance of critical thinking?
3: I, I think many of them are, and I certainly think they should be. I think critical thinking is central to the purpose of what universities are here for. Is it a new concept? I don't think it's a new concept at all. And at St. Mary's, we're, we're a Catholic university and we, we draw on, on that intellectual tradition. And you know, for us, we go back certainly to Thomas Aquinas and his approach where, uh, where he listed every argument and then against every argument listed those arguments which would be against that argument. So constantly evaluating testing, making sure that arguments stand up, uh, testing what the opposition to them is, what alternative theories there might be, and and then arriving at a a conclusion about the way forward.
1: So uh, critical thinking teaches you one side, but then you must consider the other.
3: Yeah, and maybe there'll be more than two. You know, it's about synthesising, experiencing, understanding a whole variety of arguments, learning to evaluate them, critically in other words not simply taking them at face value learning to understand what might be determining those arguments and then using uh, your intellect to evaluate balance and reach a conclusion uh, which um, both can guide you in terms of what you might believe to be true or what you might believe to be right but also guide you in terms of of action it isn't simply an intellectual exercise it can be and should be a guide to action in the real world.
1: People would summarise it as thinking out of the box, and I've never quite known what that means. Uh, Perhaps you could explain a little more about that.
3: I think the thinking out of the box idea is the recognition uh, that our thinking can be conditioned by habits, by a kind of mental laziness sometimes, or uh, and i think you see this increasingly nowadays by um a sense that our beliefs or our views um are so important that they shouldn't be challenged and so that reluctance to embrace challenge and to embrace a diversity of viewpoints i think thinking outside the box in other words thinking outside those tram lines that your habits and maybe your upbringing have given you uh, can be, uh, I think, a very important way of looking at particular problems or situations in a new and fresh way leading to new
1: knowledge. I saw something recently um, saying that academia had turned in many places to imbecilia because uh, they were challenging entirely the wrong things. Uh, does that does, does that ring true or not
3: well not as a St. Mary's, uh, <laughs> I would uh, certainly say you might expect me to say that but I think it's it, it's true I mean clearly there's a debate in in the university world as you know there is in the wider society at the moment about striking that right balance between the freedom of expression for people to express uh, their ideas, new ideas, or challenging ideas and um, the uh, rights that we all have as individuals to be treated with respect and dignity and you know getting that balance right is, is not easy, I think sometimes it's presented as in rather simplistic terms but I think from a university's point of view there has to be that fundamental recognition that the university tradition has been about freedom of uh, expression and freedom to pursue particular avenues of knowledge. and That's really important for our academics, but it's also
1: important for our students. Who would you say are the best critical thinkers at the moment? Economists, academics, politicians, um, well maybe not politicians, Um, (laughs) uh, entrepreneurs, philosophers, who are critical thinkers closest to? I do think
3: that that the underpinning of philosophy is incredibly important. And again, with the tradition that we have at St. Mary's uh, of coming from that Catholic intellectual tradition, it's always struck me that it's very interesting that in the training of Catholic priests, they spend three years studying philosophy before they're let loose on theology. So learning how to think even precedes learning how to think what you might be, what you might regard as the heart of of you know their their intellectual formation however you mentioned earlier on thinking out of the box and there's no doubt um, if i think about the 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 interface between academia and and the commercial world that you know academics like everyone else can become trapped in habitual patterns of thinking entrepreneurs because of the way that they approach the world and the way that they seek to solve often very quickly real life problems can um play an enormous part. I mean, if you think about the recent developments, particularly here, but in other countries too, in relation to um, the search for the COVID vaccine, you know, extraordinary partnerships really between the kind of thinking that goes on in uh, academic institutions and the kind of thinking that goes on in commercial or entrepreneurial
1: situations. I agree completely. Anthony McLaren, many thanks for joining us on the agenda. Thank you. Coming up on a future Agenda, solar, wind, tidal and nuclear are Earth's natural resources the only path to a sustainable energy future. But for now from me Stephen Cole and all the Agenda team here in London, it's goodbye.